Fine, please, if you have, if you got a program as you came in, there's a, at the end of the order of worship, there is, there's an outline with some quotes and things that I would be grateful if you would follow. If you're uh, watching from home or from some other place than this room, you'll see those uh, on the screen. What people are seeing in the room, you'll see on the screen. And I'm always grateful for our tech crew that makes all that possible. Bill Wilson, who is better known as Bill W., uh, spent several uh, torturous years, not only for himself, but his wife and those around him as a, as a drunk. But after several years, uh, when he finally, he finally got sober, he realized that his, his newfound sobriety was fragile that he could lose it at any time. And he realized he needed some spiritual underpinnings uh, for his life of sobriety. So he, he joined a movement, a Christian discipleship movement uh, called the Oxford Group. And in the Oxford Group, in that Christian discipleship movement, he, he learned some principles, some biblical time-proven principles that he realized if applied to those who are in recovery or needing recovery, that they would be powerful, that these principles could help people get sober and stay sober. So he, along with his new friend, also a recovering alcoholic, Dr. Bob, they, they adapted and adopted those, those principles and they became the 12 steps. And then in 1939, Dr. Bob and Bill W. wrote what is now the textbook for uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous and a lot of anonymouses. The, the big book, the textbook, if you will, for the recovery world, the big book of of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the 12 steps were introduced to the world. We've been using the 12 steps as a matter of, of Christian discipleship, as a program of Christian discipleship. I, I've come to believe, I hope you have, that, that these are not just good steps for people who are, are in need of recovery, for we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and I have found them to be empowering, uh, I have found them to be liberating, I have found them to be uh, transformative, for they are, I believe, a wonderful Christian uh, program of discipleship for us all. It's hard to imagine that we're at step 12, at least uh, for me. We began by acknowledging that we have an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. The Bible calls that in Romans 7 a sin nature. We acknowledge that we can't fix that problem on our own. We came to recognize, though, that God himself can can fix our problem, that, that he can transform us. And so we surrendered our wills, that, that part deep within us from which decisions arise to him. We listed our moral failures, the ways we have messed things up and, and let people down. And then we came clean to, to ourselves. We were honest with ourselves. We were honest with God. And we were honest with another person, another human being about our, our list And then we went to make amends with those we have treated badly. And by the way, if you haven't done those last two things, if you haven't come clean with another human being whom you trust, who loves you, 
And if you haven't gone back to make amends to people you have treated badly, you are really missing out. I found those two things to be uh, two of the most transformative things I've ever done. I've done experiencing God. I know y'all are doing it now. I, I love that, but nothing has quite been as, has been quite as, I don't know, liberating as it's just telling the whole thing to another human being and, and then going back to make amends. So we did that. Then we eventually turned from the past to the future, realizing we cannot live life in the rearview mirror. We turned to the future. We, we recognize that no matter what we've done, we have not forfeited. We have not thrown away the chance at a good, God-honoring, people-serving future. And we realize that through prayer and meditation, we can know that future and we can be empowered by God's Spirit. And that word power is really important. We can be empowered empowered to live that future. There's a sweet lady who was in recovery who admitted to me recently that when uh, she first heard me say that I was going to preach a series of messages on the 12 steps, she thought to herself, what does he know about the 12 steps? And she was right to wonder that. It was a bit presumptuous maybe of me. It certainly was ambitious of me to tackle the 12 steps. And I could not have done this without my friends in the recovery community, particularly those who meet on Thursday nights in that fresh expression of church we call Bright Star. They have, they have tutored me, they have mentored me, they have encouraged me, they literally have shaped every message. And I, I cannot thank them enough. I, I have not personally known the enslavement of an addiction. Now, some of our uh, word has gotten back to me that there are a lot of people that have been watching for, by TV and live stream who, who've asked, is he, is he in recovery? And that would, I would tell you if I were. But I, I just have become so in, engrossed in, so enamored of and, and convinced by these 12 steps that they've, they've just become part of me because even though I don't have a, an addiction, I was born with that overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. I was born with a chronic proclivity for messing things up. And so, this has been such a, such a moving thing for me. Well, get out your outline and let's look at the 12th and final step. AA's step 12 reads like this, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Our 12th biblical principle for us all applied to all of us is this, because we were so grateful for the spiritual awakening we have experienced, we committed to the continued practice of these steps. And because we recognize that our own spiritual health depends on it, we carried the message to others and did everything possible to help anybody we could. Here are our guiding steps from the Bible. See if you can note in every one of these the, the turn towards step 12. From Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's the turn. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will, be, will turn back to you. Now here's that same text in the message. Bring me back from my gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways. There's the turn so that the lost can find their way home. From 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, and here's the turn to 
step 12 so that we can comfort those others in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And here's the turn to step 12. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Freely you've received, Jesus said, here's the turn, freely give. And in Luke 8, one of my favorite stories, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. That's the turn, see, to go back. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. There are three big truths in in, in this last step. Number one, we have experienced the spiritual awakening. That doesn't mean we now live on a higher plane than everybody. It simply means we understand ourselves better than we did 10 weeks ago, and we understand better uh, the power to live into the, the future that God has plan for us. We have learned new spiritual tools. We have, we have been enriched. And, and so it's been like, a, like an awakening, at least for me. The second big truth is that we will prom, uh, practice these steps in all our affairs for our entire lives. <clears throat> I've heard uh, so many people uh, in recovery say that that they've they learned pretty quickly that this is not just about alcohol and drugs and compulsive behaviors, but that these 12, 12 steps are, are applicable to all of life. And I have learned that to be true for me. So I'm telling you, I'm not going to graduate today. We're not going to hand out caps and gowns and diplomas. For me, I'm committed to the lifelong living of these 12 steps. The third big truth and what we will concentrate on today is that Extending help and hope to people who need help and hope is important to our own spiritual progress. That extending help and hope to people who need help and hope is important for our own spiritual progress. I've learned from these 12 steps and particularly people who practice them as a lifestyle that nothing is more important for their sobriety than helping other people. And every night around Greater Huntsville, there's somebody who's answering a phone in the middle of the night and driving across town to help somebody who's in trouble. People have driven to Atlanta, to Florida. I know these stories of people who are in recovery who have found help and hope who are now extending help and hope to others. uh, I've heard more than one say, my sobriety depends on it. And I would say similarly that, that nothing is so transformative for any Christian than to extend help and hope to people who need help and hope. Nothing is, is so transformative for me and you like well, like sitting down with somebody and having a a conversation about Jesus or or extending meaningful ministry to them. Nothing is so enriching or strengthening than than being so brave as to have a conversation about Jesus and being so courageous as as extending ministry to people. Whether, Whether they are receptive or not, it's important to us. I love that story that we read a moment ago. We read part of it of about the demon-possessed man in the, in the cemetery. So Jesus and his disciples, they 
disembarked. They got out of the boat at, uh, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and were immediately met by this demented, tormented man. Uh, possessed by demons, he was so wild, so dangerous that the people in town had said, you can't live in here, uh, live here. You got to go live in the cemetery. So this man, they get out of the boat, immediately they meet this man. He's looking for help. He's crying out. He probably smells because of where he lives. And he's stark naked. You might say he was seeking, shrieking, reeking, and streaking. That was the man (laughs) in the cemetery. But in a few minutes, the man who was seeking and shrieking and reeking and streaking is speaking. He's speaking sensibly. The Bible says he was clothed and in his right mind. And here's what he said, Jesus, I don't know where you're going next, but I'm going with you. I'll carry your bags. I'll do anything I need to. I just want to be where you are. I had given up hope. Everybody around me had given up hope for me. And by the way, that thing you did with the pigs was the funniest, coolest thing I've ever seen. And and so, Jesus, I just want to travel with you. Now, we can understand, right, why he would would want that. He'd never met anybody like Jesus. But Jesus said, no, uh, you go back. And what powerful words. You go back to the people you knew before. And you help, you extend hope and help to them because they all need deliverance in their own way. So you go, you go back. Well, what do you imagine happened when he went back? I imagine that um, he was from the Decapolis. That means 10 cities, 10, kind of one great metropolis. And so I imagine his friend, I imagine his friends sitting around in the, in the commons area of the city. And from the distance, they see a man walking toward them. And when he gets close enough, they realize this is that guy, that crazy guy that's been living in the cemetery, this demented, tormented guy. That's him. And then here's what I imagined was their response. Do you remember that there was a a video that went viral around from Huntsville? The the guy, there was an intruder in the neighborhood, and he said, hide your kids, hide your wife. That's what I imagined they said when they saw it. Hide your kids, hide your wife. It's that crazy man from the cemetery. But the man said, wait, hang on, guys. I'm a different man than I was when I left here. I met this rabbi named named Jesus and and he changed my life. And and if you got a few minutes, I'd like to talk with you about it because frankly, if if he can help me, he can help anybody. And so, so Jesus said to him, go, go back. What would it mean for you and me to to go back. It might mean sitting down in the, in the break room with somebody and saying, look, I don't mean to pry and I don't mean to be nosy, but this looks like a, a hard section of the journey. And if I could be of help, I'd, I'd like to. So here's my cell phone number. If you, if you need help, and I mean this, you, you call me. Or maybe it would mean writing a note, a little less confrontational. Maybe it's writing a note that says, you look like this is a hard stretch of the road. Here's my business card, here's my cell phone, my email. 
If I can be of help, I'd be, I'd be honored. Or it might mean saying to someone, you know, th- this looks like a, it just looks like you have the burden of the world on your shoulders. I, I'd like you to come to church with me. The people there are warm and they're welcoming. And the pastor is such a nice guy. I think you ought to come to our church. I'll meet you in the parking lot, you could say. I'll meet you in the parking lot. We'll walk in together. You won't have to sit by yourself. But what if you were to reach out to somebody and extend hope and help? And What if they actually take you up on it? What if you extend a hand and they, they grab it? And what if, what if their lives are messy? What if, what if somebody gives you a call and says, yeah, I, I really could use a friend, and you find out they're in the middle of a, a messy custody battle? It's just, and all of a sudden you're involved in a messy situation, or maybe they're Maybe somebody says, yeah, I need some help, and you find out they have an addiction that you didn't know about, or maybe they struggled with a mental illness that you didn't know about, or maybe they've got legal problems. Maybe they say, yeah, I really do need a friend, and first thing I'd like you to do is come to the courtroom with me. Just sit there. I've got to face the judge. It would make me feel good if you were sitting there. What if you, what if you help some? Offer to help somebody and they take you up on it and it's, what if it's messy? What if, what if your hands get dirty? What if it's not as easy as reading about it in, in Sunday school? Carrie and I watched a movie lately titled Where the Crawdads Sing. It's about a little girl named Kaya growing up in the marsh of North Carolina in a dysfunctional abusive home. Eventually her mother has had all she can take and her mother leaves, her only advocate leaves. One by one, the siblings leave until it's only little Kaya, little girl, and her tormented, abusive father alone in the marsh of North Carolina. And then he being tormented by demons, he leaves too and leaves her alone, a little girl, to fend for herself, to grow up alone. People in town hear about it. Their responses are a mixture of derision and, and pity. Little Kaya goes to the general store. She barters, she has planted some things, she barters for some goods that she needs to survive. The proprietors of the general store are named Mabel, and her husband, who's nicknamed Jumpin', Mabel and Jumpin'. Listen, Mabel says, poor child, her ma's gone, now her pa's gone too. Well, I bet Jumpin', her husband, can see the wheels turning in Mabel's head. Mabel is wondering how they can help little Kaya. I bet, she says, but Jumpin' interrupts her. We ought to be careful messing in folks' business. Mabel answers, it don't say be careful in the Bible. And then she quotes from the King James Version, Jesus' words in Matthew 25. She quotes them by heart. 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto thee, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And Mabel concludes their brief conversation by reiterating her previous point. The Bible don't say nothing about be careful. That's gospel. Mabel's right. The Bible don't say nothing about be careful. But in that text from which she quoted... Matthew 25. The Bible says that you and I will stand before our Creator and be divided, you know, the division into sheep and goats. And to the sheep, Jesus, or the Father, will say, Come in, I, I've been waiting for you. And I've got a place prepared just for you. Welcome into my kingdom. Who are those folks? It's not the people who held a particular position on some hot-button cultural issue. It's not people who are members of some particular church. It's the people who didn't have anywhere to sleep the previous night. It's the people who are hungry and aren't sure where their next meal is coming from. It's, it's the people who have reached out to them. Let me be real clear here. It's not... The people who are entered in are those who, let me just back up a minute. I, I kind of got sidetracked. Let me back up. So Jesus, God says, come in. And, and who does he say come into? It's those people who have met Jesus and who are so transformed by him that they are compassionate toward and have reached out to those who didn't know where they were going to sleep last night. Those who didn't, didn't have anywhere to sleep last night, don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. Those who are hungry and those who don't have any clothes to wear and and those who are in prison, in jail. Who gets invited in? It's, it, it's those who, who were so transformed by Jesus that, that it made a difference in the way they treated people whose lives are messy and investment in whom is risky. Who are those who are invited in? Those who are so deeply transformed by Jesus that they look differently and treat differently. Those who, whose lives are messy and investment in whom is risky. The, the poor, the powerless, the lost, and the lonely. Go back, Jesus said. Ten weeks ago, we started this, and you might remember, we all wore those cute little stickers, red, I've got issues. Remember those? I think I told you that, that day that as I came in, one of the greeters was teasing me, and he said, uh, I, I don't need to wear a sticker. Everybody knows I've got issues. I said, I said yeah, I know, but, but do you know you've got issues? <laughs> See, everybody knows you've got issues. Everybody knows I got issues. Question is, do you know? Do I know we got issues? If, if here we are at the end of the series and, and we're more open, we're more honest with ourselves and more open with other people, then this would have been a, a great series. I told you in week two about a night in Bright Star, meet, we meet downstairs. Thursday nights, people in recovery, people who love people in recovery. 18, 19, 20 months ago, they invited me to come in and tell my story. I did. I came in and I told what was for me a very painful story. 
It was hard for me to get through it. There were 20 or 25 people there. I knew about a fourth of them. And I don't know why I said it, but I stopped in the middle and I said, um, you do know I'm pastor of this church, right? And their answer was, no, so? They weren't impressed with me. They weren't disappointed by me. Isn't that beautiful? What a great, even more, more wonderful church we'd be if, if we didn't worry about impressing each other. And if we knew we couldn't disappoint each other. I'm telling you folks, our friends in recovery have figured out church in a way that we can learn from. Where we don't have to impress each other. Don't worry about disappointing each other. Just, just being us. My cousin Linda, Micah, Aaron, y'all come get ready. I've asked them to sing us out with a song that we began with. But I want to tell you something before, we, before they sing. Um, my cousin Linda lives, lived in New Orleans, lives in South Carolina now, but she lived in New Orleans and she was there. She was the director of a recovery center. And there was a guy in that recovery center named Brennan. Now, Brennan is, was a complicated guy. He was sometimes, he was a, a client in the recovery center. Sometimes he was a speaker for the people in recovery. Complicated guy, in and out. He was an alcoholic. He was very open about that, very transparent about that. His demons were relentless, as demons always are. He experienced several periods of, of, um, of not drinking, but he never did quite live a, a life of sobriety. He was drinking again when he died. But Brennan understood grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love in ways that I think most of us don't. He understood grace from the underside. He was open, he was honest, tormented, complex, but he got grace. He, he wrote a book, this Brennan is... The late Brennan Manning, who wrote a lot of books, but this bestseller is one of my favorite, titled The Ragamuffin Gospel. Get your outlines. I want you to see a couple of quotes. He wrote, we come to God as ragamuffins, dirty, bedraggled, and beat up. Yet he went on to write so beautifully that God loves dirty, bedraggled, beat up folks. And he wrote, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need who don't know they have it all, to, who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. Are you wobbly and weak need and don't have it all together? You're just the kind of person that Jesus is looking for.
And one thing that um, I hope we've learned over these weeks is that the poor and the powerless and the lost and the lonely are not them, they're us. I think it was my first night down in Bright Star when we were beginning to walk through the 12 steps. And it begins with the word we, and one of the, one of the guys in recovery said, don't miss that word. That's the power of the gospel, that it turns you and me and us and them into we. And we are the poor, and we're the powerless, and we're the lost and the lonely. The only difference is that we have found hope and help, and now it's time to go back.